We've been in a terrific series through the Gospel of Mark where we have looked at Jesus' baptism, how he was set apart for ministry, and not only set apart for ministry, but he was set apart as the Son of God. We've looked at his temptations and how he has defeated temptation through the power of the Spirit and how he has overcome through the power of God's Word and how that encourages us that if we would put God's Word in our heart, we would stumble less and succeed more. And then last week we looked at he has the power to release people from demons and how if we would just be set free, we would be free in a way that we've never experienced before. And that's a scary proposition for some of us. If we think in freedom, we don't know what to do because we're so locked into our our chains and our sin. But man, when God comes and brings us freedom, when Jesus brings us that freedom, we will be free forevermore. And so today we're going to continue on in our series. We're going to look at just a few verses of Scripture. And isn't it amazing sometimes that only just a handful of verses can have such a deep and powerful meaning when it comes to God's relationship with you through Jesus Christ. And so if you would join me in Mark chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 29. And we're just going to look at just a very small snapshot of one day of Jesus' life. It started last week when Justin was preaching and we were talking about Jesus teaching in the synagogue and being interrupted by a demon-possessed man. But it's kind of like what happened after church. You know, some of us, uh, the story after church usually goes, we go to church, we worship, maybe we go grab a bite to eat or maybe food's ready for us when we get home. We take our nap and we move on about our day. Or if you're a sports fan, then we check in the Final Four or whatever baseball game. But we just, that's our story. That's our Sunday. But Jesus did not have your typical Sunday. Because here in this moment of, of Scripture, we're going to see that Jesus had a very full day. Going from teaching into one of the most incredible stories that we get to see here in Scripture. But then also what happened at the, at the nighttime. Because just because Jesus did something in the afternoon didn't mean the day was over. And so if you would join me in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 29, it says this. It says, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went to Simon and Andrew's house with James and with John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So that he went with her, went to her, and he took her by the hand, and he raised her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve him. And then when evening came, after the sun had set, they brought him to all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. And he would not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. So like I said, just a few verses of Scripture, but there's so much richness to the text. There's a lot of things that happen here that, you know, if we, we glaze over it, it's like, well, Jesus healed somebody and we move on. But that's not exactly what, he, what happened here because in the set time of a few hours, an entire town gets forever changed. And it starts by the healing of one individual. So before we get to the healing, I want to pick something up that's very important. That is, as soon as Simon and Andrew, or Simon who we now know as Peter, as soon as they find out that someone is sick in their household, they immediately know Jesus is the answer. And so for us, as we start out this morning, I want to point out to you that we need as a church, those of us that are believers in Jesus, the first thing that we need to realize from the text is we have got to bring people, take those who need Jesus. We need to take Jesus to those people. We need to make sure that those in our life that we recognize, that we know that are absent from a relationship with him or in need of his touch or in need of his presence or in need of his salvation, anybody in our lifetime that needs Jesus, we need to take him to them. 
We need to be the instigators. We need to be the initiators. We need to be the ones that arrange the appointment for Jesus to meet the needs of the people that we love the most. You see, this starts back in Mark. Go back just a little bit earlier in Mark chapter 1. You're like, why is it so important that Simon and Andrew go run and take care of Simon's mother-in-law? If you are a mother-in-law, this is a great verse for you because it means that your son-in-law takes good care of you. But here in this moment, like, why is this so important? It's because before Simon and Andrew realized that he, Jesus could change the mother-in-law's life, Jesus had changed their lives first. And so we look up and we back up to verse 16 in chapter 1. And it says this, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. You know, we have a mission statement here at our church to do whatever it takes to develop disciples of Jesus Christ who gather, grow, and go. That means we need to be more like Simon and Andrew, that when something happens and we, need, we see the need that someone has for Jesus, then we will do whatever it takes to get them to Jesus. We will do whatever it takes to move heaven and earth if we have to, to get them in the presence of the Lord, because we know that he could change their lives. It also means that we get our lives changed in the process, because before we can help other people, we need to have Jesus in our lives. We need to have that saving relationship, that grace-filled relationship. We need to appreciate and recognize the way that Jesus has touched our lives. And this is exactly what's happening right here at the beginning of this text is Simon and Andrew have realized that Jesus has changed everything for them. And if someone is sick in their home, they need to make sure that Jesus knows about it and Jesus can do something about it. Have you been changed? Have you been set free? We as a church have a great number of people around us and I'm not talking about inside this room. I'm talking about outside these walls. We have people that are physically not, not well, and they have no one to care for them. They're close to you. They're coworkers, they're family members, they're neighbors. They are physically not well, or they're physically where they need a healing touch, and they need some, they need some believers in Jesus to rally around them, to pray, to lift them up, to encourage them, to bring Jesus into their narrative. And so that is on us that we would leave these walls and we would go and we would find those people and we would do our best to put as much Jesus in their lives as possible. Not that we would sit here for 30, 45 an hour and soak up Jesus and walk away like nothing ever happened, but that we would soak up and get ready to go squeeze it out into the, the community and say, let me give you all the Jesus I know. Let me give you all the Jesus that I've ever experienced. We got some people that are emotionally broken. They've had some really rough times and they need somebody to come and they need a Jesus in their life that would heal them and, and tell them emotionally, you are just fine. Come and be loved and come and be cared for. And remember, you are valuable and loved and wanted. And we have some that are spiritually broken because they have not seen Jesus in their life be real. And so we need to demonstrate and we need to show them and we need to point them to where Jesus has been real in our lives. And so much like Simon and Andrew have done here in Scripture, we need to do the same. We need to leave this place as soon as we can, and we find somebody that needs Jesus, and we take Jesus straight to them. Because some of you are like, well, where does Jesus exist? Do we go pick him up on the way? Do we take him to lunch and then go? Remember, Jesus Christ is right here. Jesus Christ is right inside of our hearts. If you have committed and you have followed Jesus with all your heart, then he is right here. And you get to carry him, and you get to take him wherever you go. And if you only know this much about Jesus, then you live it as, as much as possible until he teaches you a little more and then you go live that out. 
But we need to take Jesus to those who need him the most. I'd like to share with you some numbers. Can I do that? For those of you who don't know me, if I wasn't going to go into ministry, I was probably going to teach, coach baseball. You don't really teach baseball. You coach it. And I was going to teach math. Obviously, I wasn't going to teach English. So let me give you some numbers. And Callie's like, see, I told you. 82%. Now, if we just looked at that number, we're like, man, that's a pretty good percentage. Would you agree? If you could win a, a ball game 82% of the time, wouldn't you take that? If you could succeed at work 82% of the time, would you take that? I mean, if you're a weatherman, you could be like 45 and still win, right? But if you're 82% anything, you would take that and consider it a win, right? 82% of the people that are unchurched said they would attend church if someone from inside the church would invite them to church. 82% of all the people that are outside these walls said that they would come inside these walls if we, you and I, would reach out and say, hey, would you come with me to church? I'm okay with awkward silence. Eight out of ten of your friends that don't know Jesus, that don't go to church, that have nothing to do anything spiritually, tell us by statistics that if you and I would reach out to them, and you say, hey, would you come with me to a worship service, to a life group, to a function that our church has? 82% of them would say yes. The next number, 2%. Now, many of us would say, like, if it's 2%, if it's milk, it's a good thing. <laughs> We're not talking about milk. Now, this isn't going to be a guilt trip. We're going to move on in the scriptures here, but you, need to, you, need to just, you just need to stay in the moment here for just a second. 2% of the people that go to church say they have actually invited someone to come with them in the last 12 months. 2%. There are roughly 270 people in this room right now. You can do the math on 2%. Man, we got an opportunity. Don't look at the negative and be like, man, we're terrible. Look at the 82% that says, man, if you will come and you will ask me, I will show up. Simon and Andrew knew that if we could somehow get Jesus into the house, Jesus could change the outcome of this story. And they did whatever they took to get Jesus because the scripture says they knew and they immediately went and got Jesus and they took him to her. If we know that your friends, if you know that your coworkers, if you know that your neighbors, if you know that somebody that lives inside of your household under your own roof needs Jesus, then by all means, get them to come. Because if we can allow people that are in our community to experience the love, the grace, the salvation, the encouragement, the value of a relationship with Jesus Christ, we will flip this town upside down. Starts with us getting people in the presence of Jesus. The second thing that comes from the text is something that we are going to spend a little bit of time on. That if you notice in the mother-in-law's narrative, Jesus' touch heals all ailments and all people. When we look at the scriptures, we read the term fever. Everybody see that there? I'm not making that up. 
says she had a fever. Normally, how would you treat a fever? A couple aspirin, water, rest, Sunday afternoon nap, and probably by dinner time you're going to be okay. This is not that fever. Deuteronomy chapter 28 tells us that when a person has a fever in that time and culture, they thought that you had broken the covenant with God. So badly that you had broken the covenant that God is the one that inflicted you and only God could save you. This is the fever that they believe that she has. This is the fever that Mark, or excuse me, in Luke in chapter 4, because remember Luke is a writer of a gospel, is a doctor. Luke describes it in Luke chapter 4 as a high fever. So we're talking about this is a very serious moment. Some of you have had children, and when it hits like 102 and 103, you're like, where are we going? Which hospital do you want to go to? Because we have got to get our child to the hospital right now. Some of you have loved ones, and as soon as it hits like 100 anything, you're just panicking. Like, let's get the essential oils out. Let's do whatever we have to take. Let's exercise demons, whatever we have to do. This is a very serious moment, but only the touch of Jesus, only the touch of Jesus She's healed. Jesus didn't grab the essential oils. He didn't grab the med kit. He didn't swing by Walgreens or or CVS. He didn't go by Kroger. He didn't do anything. He just simply went and he touched her life and it changed her forever and she was no longer sick. The simplest touch of Jesus. Look, check this out. The simplest touch of Jesus changes everything. The simplest touch of Jesus changes everything. When we look at Mark and we go, we're going to go, we're going to study Mark for quite a while. And I'm really excited because there's some amazing stories of Jesus' life, some amazing things about him. Mark chapter 5, Jesus is able to heal a woman who Jesus doesn't touch, but she touches him. She grabs his cloak and scripture records and says, if I could just get just a hem of his garment. And she was healed of a hemorrhage that she had been suffering for 12 years. Slight touch, lots of healing. Mark chapter 5, also a girl that was about 12 years old had died and her family had come to get Jesus because they were thinking before she died, like, man, if we could just get Jesus in the house, man, he can heal her. Jesus goes and he wakes her up like she was sleeping. Simplest touch. Mark chapter 7, Jesus is, is taking care of a man that is deaf and doesn't speak well. And this is a little gross. If you're like, just be careful with this. Jesus takes his fingers, puts his fingers in the man's ears, and then spits on his tongue. He can now hear, he can now see and speak. He is healed. Life changed forever. Mark chapter 8, Jesus heals a blind man once again by spitting. I guess Jesus did that. That was the cool thing to do at the time. Who knows? Mark chapter 9, Jesus releases his young boy, and when the boy is released, Jesus just simply picks him up and leads him back into a new life. But my favorite happens to be in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verses 14 and 15 said, Let the little children come to me, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth that anyone will not receive the kingdom unless they are like a little child. At the time, children were kind of an afterthought. Don't touch me, don't talk to me, just be in the presence. Jesus said, no, 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 no. No, you welcome them. You come on in. And we all love the, if you grew up in church, you remember the little posters and felt board? You had Jesus sitting on a rock and you had kids on the knees and you had kids all around. Some of you, you're like, how do I get to Jesus? You just be as innocent as a child. And you just simply say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to be in my life. I need your touch on my life. 
Because the simplest touch of Jesus on your life can change everything. We believe that Jesus is the master physician. It says so in Mark chapter 2. We also believe that God heals on his timeline, and Jesus will heal on his timeline, choosing how he wants and when he wants with who he wants. If Jesus chooses to heal you with just him, then so be it. If, God, if Jesus chooses to heal you through doctors and modern medicine, so be it. If Jesus chooses to heal you in any way that he so chooses, it's so be it. Because if Jesus heals you, then Jesus has healed you. The fun thing is we sometimes get to be a part of that, not because of any power that we possess. Can we be clear about that? But I think Jesus calls us in a very practical way to love on those who are afflicted and hurting and diseased, to care for them, to lift their arms, to be with them, to walk them through whatever season of life they have, and to pray faithfully and faith-filled every chance we get. Not the casual, like, you know, I'm praying for you, and then walk over here, and I haven't said a word. But a faith-filled, let me stop and pray for you now, and when you walk away, I'm going to keep praying for you until Jesus does something on your behalf. That's how we get to be a part of this process now. Scripture outlines other different ways, but it's Jesus' choice. And in this particular way, Jesus chose to heal her by the simplest touch. And what I love about this is we get into the third point of this is when Jesus touches your life, would you notice what the woman does? When Jesus takes her by the hand, he raises her up and then read what scripture says. She immediately served them. She served the house. So when, when this woman gets up in verse 31, it says, so he, so he went to her, he took her by the hand, he raised her up, the fever left, and she immediately gets up and serves. Do you realize this is not like her going to Jack in the Box or, or some other place and just grabbing a meal and feeding them? To serve a meal in this day means there's a lot of time and preparation and effort. There's a lot that goes into serving a group because it's not just her and Jesus. And it's not just her and Jesus and Simon and Andrew. This is the Simon and Andrew family home, which means their family. We know that if, if it's mother-in-law, then Peter had a wife and, and, and other family members in this house. You've got James and you've got John and you've got the disciples. You've got the entourage. You've got all these people. And scripture says plainly that she got up and served them. For us, when Jesus touches our life, when Jesus does something radical in our lives, what is our response? What is my response? Because when Jesus touches your life, we are to respond and to serve. What does our gratitude look like? Does it look like a, a passing thank you? And by passing thank you, I'd like to define that right now as I expect Jesus to move. And when you do, go get him, big guy. Like it's no big deal. We, we, we live in a, in a culture and a society where, where we're entitled. Sometimes spiritually, we feel entitled to Jesus doing things on our on our behalf, on our request, on our whim. That's not how Jesus likes to operate, and that's not how we show gratitude by Jesus, by just saying, hey, man, here's my list. Let me just show you the list of things I need you to do next. Here's my list, Jesus. When Jesus touches our life, we need to respond and we need to serve him. Does our response and gratitude look like lifelong dedication? By that, I, I kind of put a little notes in myself. Consistent worship. Consistent worship meaning on Sundays, on Mondays, on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. 
Does my consistent worship look like what I do here on Sunday morning with my raised hands? And, and I say, I remember your faithfulness and your goodness. Let my faith arise. Does it arise on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? Because if Jesus has truly changed my life, then it needs to. And some of you that are like, man, I don't know what he's talking about when this faith. Let me tell you something. When Jesus changes your life, you will be so filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll be so filled with God's goodness. You will be so filled with gratitude when Jesus changes your life. Trust me, you will want to change the way that you worship each and every day of the week because every day is a gift of God. Every day is an extension of his grace and his mercy. And you're so overwhelmed and you're so deep in gratitude. You can't wait to live it out. We as a church, American church specifically, we have got to change our mode of operation where we just come on Sundays, we punch a ticket, we maybe give a little bit in the plate, high five Jesus and get out. We need to come here and we just need to beg the Lord to show up. We need to beg him to continue to teach us because we can't wait to get back there on the game field and live out whatever he teaches us. That's how we show gratitude, by living out whatever Jesus has taught us on the inside. Because the third alternative is that we don't do anything at all. I mean, if you really just want to spit in Jesus' face, but not in a healing way, don't do anything with anything that he's ever done for you. I mean, let's just put it blunt. If you look at your life and be like, man, I haven't done anything with what Jesus has done in my life. Let me tell you something. You are responsible for the gospel dying in your neck of the woods. Boy, I had to come to Jesus when I thought about that today or the, this week. Justin and I were sitting in the hallway, and I remember and Justin was like, well, that's good. Because as we're sitting there thinking about it, it's not because I'm a good preacher, I promise you. But as we're sitting there thinking about, man, if I don't do anything with Jesus, if I, don't, if I don't show anybody that Jesus has changed my life, if I don't tell my story, if I don't share the goodness of God, then I am responsible for the gospel dying in my neck of the woods, and I don't want that. Because I'm going to have to answer for that. I'm going to have to stand before the Lord, and I'm going to have to say, you know what? Uh, yeah. That was great. Salvation was awesome. Appreciate that. It's good to see you. This heaven's nice. My bad. No, not on my watch. Because of what Jesus has done for me, I think there are people in my life, and I think there are people in your life that would just love, that would just relish an opportunity if you would just sit down and just tell them one thing, one thing that Jesus has done in your life. Because go back to the 82%. You know what would make that invitation more real is if you could tell them how Jesus has made a difference in your life. Why is it 82% respond? Because the people that are so passionate about Jesus, like, I got to go check this out. I got to go figure out, is this person just crazy? Are they just really zealous about their church? No, they just love Jesus. And they are willing to do whatever it takes to get you to come meet him. We need to be the one because the fourth thing that really stands out about this passage comes at the tail end of the passage. Look at it in Mark 32 through 34. It says this, When evening came and the sun had set, they brought to him all that were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and many were healed who were sick with various diseases, and, drove out, and Jesus drove out many demons. He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Would you take a look, and if you've got a pen or pencil, would you take a look at verse 33, and if your text says this or anything resembling this, would you underline, circle, star, point an arrow to, whatever you got to do at the phrase, the whole town. The whole town. Because when I look at that, 
I want to go ahead, go ahead and bring up the, the fourth point, fellas. Cities get healed and forever changed as the reputation of Jesus grows. It's not just you. It's not just your family. It's not just your neighborhood. An entire town showed up at the door because they heard Jesus was there and changing people's life, and they wanted some too. If the gospel grows, the reputation of Jesus grows with inside these walls, what we need to do is then take it outside these walls and allow the gospel reputation to grow outside these walls so that when the city hears what's happening at the fellowship and some of our sister churches in town and our sister campus over at the fellowship at Mount Juliet and any church inside the United States or around the world that believes and loves and totally is committed and surrendered to Jesus, when the reputation of Jesus grows, cities change. Why do I love Nepali Haiti so much? Why do I love My Life Speaks? And if you get me talking about missions, I am going to spend about 20, mis- 20 minutes talking about Nepali because the reputation of Jesus has grown inside of a tiny village in a country that nobody cares about. And they are literally changing an entire village with the hope that one day they'll ch- change an entire region. And then one day, God willing, they will change an entire country. I'm not talking about a country right now. What if we just change this community? What if we just flip Donaldson and Hermitage and Madison and Smyrna and Mount Juliet and Old Hickory and and wherever you come from? What if we just flip that town upside down for the cause of Jesus? Not for our glory, not for our benefit, not for anything that has anything to do with us, simply for the kingdom of God. You know how that begins? Because we start telling people what Jesus has done in our life. It's a scary proposition, but it is worth an eternal value for you to share what God has done inside of your heart, an eternal value for you to share just even the one thing that Jesus has done inside your heart and your life. Today, I want to respond this way. I want us to, to, to we'll have our, our, our usual, we'll have the Lord's Supper table here at either side of this room. We'll have it upstairs in the mezzanine. If you just want to unify your heart and you just want to just say, God, I want to be with you and I want to just be on mission with you and I just want to remember you everything that I do. Remember your life in every aspect of my life. Then you come this morning and you take communion either as an individual or a family or a life group or whatever and you just say, God, I want to be with you. Because you have changed my life, and I want to remember you this morning for changing my life, not only for the moment, but for eternity. There are some crosses. They look right there. They're going to light up here in just a little bit so you can see them better. We have got crosses here. If you just say, man, there's something I just need to be healed of Jesus. I need to feel and experience his touch. You can take one of our cards. You can write that out, and you can privately pin it up on the cross. And I promise you, when we get done with worship service, one of our our staff members, Sam Malley, our pastoral care, he's going to gather those this week, and we as a staff are going to pray for you. And you say, hey, I've got an emotional healing I need. I've got a physical healing I need. Maybe there's a a brokenness spiritually that you need. Whatever the case may be, we want to pray with you. We want to walk beside you, and we would love to do it. The third way is that we have this beautiful room right up here at the stage, and we call it an altar. Because here for us is a representation that we lay things before the Lord. And maybe it is you that you just say, I need to just lay lay my ailment at the feet of Jesus, saying, Jesus, 
I'm trying to heal myself, and I can't do it. I've tried everything there is, modern medicine, everything that the world says you need to try. I've tried it, but I haven't tried you. Then you come up here, you kneel before the Lord, and you say, let me be in your presence. Let me be healed by you. Maybe it is a spiritual need. I know myself, Eric, Justin, we got other people, we got prayer partners that will be on the other side. If you say, I need a relationship with Jesus, I just need him to touch me and to change my life eternally, then these are the people we will be here for you to pray with you and walk you through what it means to be in an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. But there's one more thing that I want us to do in prayer. You sit around some people each and every week and you know what's going on with them. Their friends, their colleagues, their family, their church buddies. You really don't talk to each other outside of church, but you sit together every week because some of you are Baptists and we don't change. We sit where we want every single week. But you know the stories. And you know what's going on. Do something about it. Whether you bring them up front or you stand right there and you gather around in a circle and you pray for somebody sitting around you that you know maybe has a physical or an emotional need. It's not, and if, you, if that's you, if somebody comes around and says, hey, I want to pray for you, it's not to embarrass you. It's not to point you out. It's because somebody wants to love you and lead you to Jesus. Wants to lead that ailment that you're struggling with or that situation that you've been battling. They want to give it to Jesus for you because you have been trying on your own and they just want to love you and show you, hey, we're together on this. As we've said many times, we just want to come along and just lift your arms up and just tell you, keep going. Keep going because Jesus loves you so much. But there's a fourth way I want you to respond and it has nothing to do with inside these walls. But I've mentioned it a few times. For a moment... I want you to think, what's the one thing that Jesus has done that just when you think about it, it just gets you really jazzed and excited? What's the one thing that Jesus, and you, I mean, that's one of those things that you have the stories that only Jesus could have done this. You know what I'm talking about? This is yes, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, I see some, okay, so we're, we're together, many of us. What's the one thing that you can point to, you can say, man, Jesus has done this for me. If that's you and you can identify what that is, I want to give you a mission much like the mother-in-law responded, I want you to respond by going and telling somebody outside these walls. Because we have Easter coming up three weeks from today. Three weeks from today. You got three weeks to share that story with somebody and invite them to come to church with you. Whether they come next week or the week after or two or th- whatever. If they don't come for th- several months, in three weeks... Will you be responsible for telling them whatever Jesus has done in your life and invite them to come to church with you and meet Jesus for themselves? Can you do that?